Anyone know what that is? That's music to my ears. That's another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling shirts or sandals, start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build relationships that will keep them coming back. Shopify covers all the sales channels to successfully grow your business, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free on-demand business courses, Shopify is here to help you succeed every step of the way. It's how every minute, new sellers around the world make their first sale with Shopify. And you can do it too. I love how Shopify makes it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere. Whether they're eBooks or earrings, Shopify simplifies starting and running your own successful business. When you're ready to take your idea to the world, do it with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Now it's your turn to try Shopify for free and start selling anywhere. So sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite. Go to shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite, to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash c-suite. You're listening to Thinking Outside the Bud, where we speak with entrepreneurs, investors, thought leaders, researchers, advocates, and policymakers who are finding new and exciting ways for cannabis to positively impact business, society, and culture. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. Our guest today is Jeff Sampson. He is CEO at Everscore. We're going to talk to him about the world of cannabis. We're going to talk to him about marketplaces, what that means, how that how different companies have kind of created them and dynamics around it and where they're going and their particular take and how they're helping companies, brands connect with consumers and uh, really help bridge the gap there. I think one of the biggest challenges in cannabis is developing uh, relationships with customers, finding new customers. Uh, It's quite complicated in the world today. All the regulatory issues, all the state-by-state regulations, like all these things make it kind of tough for a lot of big cannabis companies to really be strategic around customer acquisition, customer retention. So we're going to talk about, Jeff, about what they're doing, how they're helping brands do this, and really kind of where cannabis is going as an industry. So with that, Jeff, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me, Bruce. Yeah, it's a pleasure. So why don't we be, before we dig into everything you're doing with uh, the kind of the world of marketplaces and cannabis, uh, let's get a little bit of background. How did you get into this? How do you get into cannabis? Give us a little of the backstory. You know, the origin stories are always fun. You know, this goes back to kind of coming out of the CPG and retail environment back in the nineties. And, you know, I had the opportunity as a, as a young guy to carry the bag for a lot of, um, 
a lot of really great mentors. And I kind of fell in love with the CPG and retail industry. And one of the takeaways there was the um, just the process of transformation. You know, the, the, a lot of these a lot of these private equity groups that that we were doing work for the KKRs and Ukaipas and Forceman Littles, technology was such a huge driver of change and how they created value in the companies that they bought. And so I uh, I just fell in love with it and um, and kind of got the chance to move over to the technology side. I, I worked with Sachin Adela for a couple of years back on what is you know now creating dynamics, kind of the early early transition to cloud businesses. And so you know the two big takeaways here was pattern recognition, you know the 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 way industries are transformed and the tools to do it. And so uh, when we when we started Everscore, we were actually looking at a way to level the playing field for your you know your local and regional grocers that were getting yeah. crushed yeah. by Amazon and Walmart and Target and Kroger. Yep. And it was interesting to us because the the you know the analysis was you've got two stores in roughly the same location. You've got a finite, you know, finite consumption, finite population, and yet in the same 30,000 products on the shelf. So, yeah. Why is one going up 10% and the other one going down 10%? Mm-hmm. And it was um and it it came down to data. And it came down to something, you know, as simple as customer acquisition and the fact that some people were doing it and the others were not. And the ones that were doing it were taking the share. And so we, um, you know, we thought, hey, this is a great way to use technology to be able to help out the hometown heroes, give them the same capabilities. And that was late 2019. And, um, and wow, just the world changed overnight. So we all know what happened to, uh, to grocery stores and the toilet paper aisles in yep. early 2020. They had bigger problems to solve. Glad they did. But we got introduced to cannabis coming up on two years ago, and there was so many overlaps between the problems that we were trying to solve and where the industry was and the difficulty for everybody, yeah. fragmentation, the brands, the growers, the, the retailers, everything. And so we adapted the model and and, um, and Everscore kind of came into its own. Yeah. And so, I mean, give me some more details around where the similarities were, what you saw happening in cannabis. And then maybe, maybe, maybe I was a little bit different. Like what translated from the work that you're doing in grocery stores to cannabis and then what didn't? Yeah. I mean, we're talking about an industry which has the same architecture as CPG. You know, you've got in the grocery business, the customer is not the ultimate purchaser, the consumer. Mm -hmm. It's the grocery store. And so you've got this complex supply chain that has a lot of different hands in it. Um, it's difficult, you know, do you think about it from a biological imperative for a brand? I've got to get on a shelf, but I've also got to get off that shelf. And so the difficulties, you know, one of the things that was telling for us, my last company, we, um, we did experiential rewards and we were, we were helping the up and coming better for you brands compete against the big CPG brands. And, and, uh, it, it was a fascinating stat in 2018, 90 of the top 100 brands lost market share to companies with less than $20 million in revenue. Yeah. So gosh, you know, when you look at that and say, Hey, you know, the, the relative power has changed in the industry and consumers have a lot more, they, they vote with their wallets, Bruce. So, yeah, exactly. you know, this was something where, how, how can we take like the, all of the lessons that we learned, how can we take the lessons which should be duplicated and adapt them to cannabis? And that's, you know, it really came to rallying around and being able to create a better consumer experience, but also an, another option. I mean, we, we live in an omni-channel world. You're a consumer, I'm a consumer, everybody listening is a consumer. We all have expectations that have been drilled into us from Amazon. Choice, convenience, and confidence. Yep. And 
if you don't deliver those, they'll keep shopping until they find somebody that will. Yep. So nobody ever thinks about the massive amounts of effort and brain power that it takes to make sure that what you found online, quickly ordered, and shows up at your door. It's really, it's magic when it works right. And when it doesn't, mm-hmm. we're pissed. <laughs> yes. Right? Yeah, I did. I think of recent recent times when I've been pissed because orders got screwed up and didn't show up at the right place. At the right time. <laughs> exactly. Everyone's got those stories. So a lot of this was just being able to adapt that and say, hey, listen, we're an omni-channel world everywhere except for cannabis. There's only one choice for brands in cannabis. And um, it's just not a, uh, it's not sustainable. So yeah. we wanted to be able to provide an option that that complemented the existing dispensary channel. But the bottom line, the, the goal was to, to solve for the fragmentation and bring new people into the industry. Give them an experience that they expect on everything else that they buy, their pizza, their alcohol, their groceries. They want their cannabis the same way. And so giving, you know, we, the bet we're making is that by providing this to brands to provide a, you know, a one-stop channel as an alternative gets them more, more margin, more shelf, more customers, all good things for brands. And that's where we think the future of the industry lies is with the brands. Yeah. And it's definitely... I mean, brands are playing a, a bigger and bigger role, particularly as new people come into the cannabis market and they're not as you know familiar with traditional cannabis, or they don't they don't know their cultivars and their terpenes, and they're they're not <laughs> you know they're they're not uh, wonks in, in cannabis and know all the you know all the background, and they they kind of have to rely upon brands, right? I mean, that's the way we we navigate most purchases in the world, right? Like I I identify with a brand, trust a brand, I'm going to buy products from them. You know, I'm not going to do all my you know due diligence research, do my you know customer test around that. Like I trust them, right? That's why brands work and that's why they, they're so powerful. And, and we haven't really had them in cannabis, you know, up until a couple of years ago when, you know, people started to really focus on building brands, you know, before it was all flower and THC content, right? So now we're, we're starting to get into this kind of branding world. I mean, where do you think we are? I mean, is this, are we, are we well into this? Are we just starting? Is this, you know, the future here? Give me a sense of kind of the, the role of brands in cannabis. Where do you put us? In the words of the great American poet, the Joker, Wait till they get a load of us. <laughs> I don't think we've seen anything yet. Yeah. Yeah. And part of this is, you know, just think about this from, from the pressures on a brand today. The dispensaries are effectively predominantly private label. They grow their own products. They use their own shelf space. So the life of a brand includes schlepping to thousands of stores, trying to get on scant shelf space with only part of your offering. And then very little to no customer acquisition to actually drive awareness once you know they're to get them into the store and to once they're in the store choose their brand so you know it's the um, there's i don't think we've seen i think we've seen what what big cannabis can do and there's some good brands out there i'm, I'm you know, I, I love what um, what charlie bachtel is doing at cresco mm-hmm. yeah they're um, that the, some of the wonder wellness, the Mindy's edibles, the, those are fantastic. Those are, those are brands I want to go out and buy. So I'm always conscious of that, but you know, for, for brands that don't have a billion dollar balance sheet, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's a little bit more difficult. So, you know, I think what's been happening and you you called it, it is whether a consumer is being reintroduced to cannabis or it is a completely new experience. I mean, just look at the, the gap, the gap in the numbers you can use as a proxy for demand or pent up demand. Mm-hmm. What was the latest poll? Something somewhere between 12 and 18% of Americans were existing cannabis users, right? Yep. So what does it say when somewhere between, depending on which poll, 70 to 90% of Americans think it should be legalized? 
Yeah. <laughs> so there's something in that Delta. <laughs> that should scare the crap out of people. Yeah. <laughs> like, like literally. Yes. Eventually this is going to be in a hundred billion dollar industry, but not if we don't lay some groundwork and get some infrastructure in there for these brands to actually reach those consumers. Yeah. yeah. So there, there's, you know, I, what I'm excited for is that once we, once we can solve for that, you know, one of my, um, the pleasure of meeting a guy named Don Keogh from Coca-Cola. Yeah. He was the COO, an Irishman and, and, uh, one of the most, gosh, just a happy soul. But beneath there was an amazing mind. And he, he kind of explained brands to me in a way that, that stuck with me. And, you know, we were, um, I went to Goizueta Business School at Emory. And so they would, of course, we'd get a lot of the, uh, the executives come down and talk. And, you know, under the heading of there's always that guy in the room. Well, that guy, you know, asked the question while Don was taking, you know, was, was taking suggestions and said, how do you sleep at night? knowing that you pedal sugar water to the poor and downtrodden of the third world. And, um, you know, there's a, there's a collective gasp in the audience and, uh, and Don never, never flinched. Don said, thank you so much for asking me that question, because we think about that mother who comes home at the end of her long day after working three jobs. And as she goes through the door and she kisses her angels as, uh, as they fall asleep, and she makes her way into the kitchen and reaches into that ice box for that familiar bottle. Halfway across the world, the Queen of England is doing the same thing. And in that one moment in time, they're equal. We do not sell sugar water. We sell refreshment. And it was kind of a drop the mic moment. And, um, and he's right. We have to stop pushing strains and terpenes. Yeah, yeah and, exactly. And nobody cares. It's about being able to introduce an unfamiliar product to familiar routines. This is what I do after I work out because it makes me feel better. This is what I do when I, when I need a little bit of energy. This is what I do. So it's, it's being able to make those connections from a brand level instead of slugging it out and saying, well, you know, my, you know, my 24% THC is better than your 24% THC. (laughs) Yeah. And it's fascinating because I think you know, on one hand, it makes sense. It's kind of logical. On the other hand, it's just, it just seems like we're so stuck as an industry, like, you know, getting getting into this next mode. I mean, I guess give, give us, I mean, paint your kind of picture of like how kind of the cannabis world has worked to date and how you hope to see it change, you know, in the future from a relationship with customer, relationship with brand, role of dispensaries. I mean, I, I'm kind of curious what your vision for kind of the change is in the industry. Yeah, the the um, the short answer is it's going to start looking a lot like consumer packaged goods. It's it's going to and specifically kind of some of the better for you brands. So if you look look at need states and problems that people are trying to solve and being able to associate products with the answers to those problems, that's where you're going to start seeing new customers come in. And you know, end of the day, THC, CBD, CBN, CBG, they're ingredients, mm-hmm. and once we understand that that these are you know they're combinations of these ingredients that do wonderful things and help very specific problems then people don't feel stupid they can get educated they know how to assess these products you know and and like we were saying earlier choice convenience and confidence i got to know what's out there it can't just be what somebody that i don't know decided to put on the shelf and i'm and i got to be cool with their assortment no i will keep looking problem is is that for those brands, where are you going to look? How are you going to find them? I mean, effectively, the industry came. We all know why the industry came up the way it did. You know, state level infrastructure because it was yeah. 
meant to bring taxes up, you would never create state-level infrastructure if you were doing a brand today. Oh, yeah. <laughs> be the antithesis of a good strategy. Exactly. I mean, there, where's, there's no economies of scale. And so, you know, and, and, and then it's, it forces, you know, it forces you to be things that you, you didn't want to be when you grew up, right? It, I don't want to be a retailer. I want to be a brand. I don't want to be a grower. I want to be a brand. If I could spend my day making emotional connections between my customers, my consumers, and our products, that's a good day. And I want to do have as many of those as possible. And so, you know, what the industry, you know, the industry one direction, which is we got to go vertical. And if you're not part of that vertical, life is is really tough because you can't get access. And without that access, you can't get shelf space. If you can't get shelf space, nobody's going to see your products. And in which case, uh, you're not going to go out and do customer acquisition because you got nowhere to send them to. Mm-hmm. So the, the good news is, gosh, that sound now on reflection, that sounds really dire, um, but it's not. <laughs> <laughs> there, is <hope. laughs> there is a, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. And, and that is that, you know, when we look at the companies that are making huge investments for, you know, conceivably not because somebody in the executive suite decided I want to spend money here, uh, that this would be somehow mapping back to consumer demand, all of the big ones, whether it's Instacart, GoPuff, you know, Gosh, even you know Amazon. They're not they're not investing in physical retail. Mm-hmm. They're investing in retail experiences and different creative ways to get products closer to consumers, both digitally and physically. Mm-hmm. And so that you know that entails a you know a different model. Now you know arguably there's no such thing from a licensing perspective as direct to consumer in cannabis. However, there is a direct to consumer operating model. Okay, and that operating model comes with a ton of benefits. It's and it really comes down to creating collaborative ecosystems, you know, where uh, we can do what we're really good at, and everybody else in the chain can do what they're really good at, and we get all the benefits of being vertical without having to be so asset heavy and and you know all of the baggage that comes with that. So this is something where we can you know we we can take the existing regulations, give a you know what feels like a a national consumer experience on the front end, and then solve for all the logistics and difficulty and the licensing on the back end. And for a brand, that means that they now have endless shelf, mm-hmm. they have access to consumers, and they're going to get the truth. <laughs> Everybody, every brand I've ever met believes there are millions of people who want their products, and now we're going to get the answer. <laughs> we can test it. That's right. That's really true or not. We're going to take a quick break to hear some words from our sponsors. And now back to our program. What are some of the brands? I'm curious what what brands you think are kind of strategically approaching this well or developing kind of a good strategy. I mean, you know, it's it's hard and difficult right now with all the kind of state by state kind of structure that we have. Where do you see brand building actually taking place? You know, I'm pleasantly surprised because when we started rolling out the model, there was a little bit of reluctance to talk to some of the MSOs because not that we felt that way, but we felt that they would see us as competitive. And yeah. the reality is, is the MSOs wear two hats. They wear a retailer hat and they wear a brand hat. So if yeah. they're wholesaling, they're looking for points of distribution. They're looking for more doors. They're looking for for more customer acquisition. And so that's an area where it's a natural place for us to to work together. The point that we're getting into the industry, you know, there's productivity caps on all physical retail just in terms of queue, how many people they can get through, you know, get, get through a queue at a time. Um, and so, you know, if you're, if your wholesale business is taking off, well, now 
you, you kind of get a taste of what it's like to be an independent brand because now you've got to go to people that you would otherwise be competing with mm-hmm. who run fixed retail and pitching them to take your products on their scant shelf space. Yeah. So there's a, there is an understanding there. There's an understanding that and we had a great conversation before Thanksgiving where, you know, the, we were talking with, um, with a pretty successful MSO and just said, you know, look, we are, we are so impressed with what you built and, and how you built it. But we would never do that today because the conditions have changed. Capital is, you know, that I, I don't know whether we're in a good capital cycle or a bad capital cycle. There's a lot of people out there with SPACs. There's a lot of people out there thinking consolidations. Wow. Yeah. We are not at that point in the industry yet. We're really yeah. not. We should be making investments and making things easier, solving the fragmentation. And, and people kind of have hop, skipped, and jumped to, oh, well, let's harvest it. Yeah, roll it all up. Yeah, we're not there yet. I guess, how do you approach, for an MSO, like I get this, they're, they're kind of playing both, right? They're playing both uh, a brand yep. and a retail or a distribution model. I mean, at some point, do they have to decide or they, they split? I mean, how, how do you see that kind of evolving and how, how do you see yourself kind of evolving with them. Yeah, it's, of course it's going to evolve. There's, there's no question about it. And I don't think that the model is wrong. I, I think there was, you know, there, there's, you had to establish a footprint, right? It goes, kind of goes back to what we talked about before. Yeah. You, you got to have something to sell and you got to have a place to sell it. And if those two things didn't exist, then it's on you to go do it. Yeah. So they, you know, they've done a great job. I think, you know, when, when, when we start looking at what it looks like to go from one state to a new state and maybe that footprint. So I want to sell in a new state. Would I make the same decisions dropping 10 to $20 million per dispensary just to drop, you know, a, a you know, a, a 3000 square foot dispensary in this market and, and maybe, and that'll give me a certain amount of, you know, throughput and velocity and shelf space and so on, but there's other ways to do it. You know, you start looking at, and what's really encouraging is you start looking at the states and what the states are doing from a licensing perspective. And they are, um, they're taking what California started with a, you know, with a type nine license, effectively, you know, a, you know, storage depot and delivery type of arrangement or dark store mm-hmm. and delivery, yep. um, and have improved upon it. So we, we've seen a lot of the states start not only separating out the vertical model, but, you know, New York has come out flat out and said, you have to choose. You cannot be vertical for two to three years. Yeah. So, wow, you know, that's going to drive decisions. You know, the other thing is you start looking at how can I be more capital efficient? Mm-hmm. Do I have to, you know, do I have to go max out my amount of dispensaries in the area? And, you know, if you want to remove dependencies in your supply chain, then you can do that. But, every, you know, I don't think anybody's happy with just kind of a a cap on their productivity or their, you know, their, their production, you know, mm-hmm. they, they want to be able to take market share and, and serve more customers as possible. So there's, you know, there's an openness there, not only from the state level, you know, to change the model, but also a willingness from just about everybody to explore that because end of the day, we all want more customers. Yeah. And that's what it comes down to. So, you know, you look at this, you know, the social equity rules in the States that are, that are surrounding these business models and, um, and they're, they're, they're arguing or directing all of us operators in the industry to be more inclusive, to be more collaborative. And I think that's nothing but, but good. Let's get more people into the industry. Let's get more consumers into the industry. And, um, you know, we've seen this movie before. This is, you know, Netflix and Blockbuster. You know, what would Blockbuster be today if yeah. they had said, if somebody had said, hey, wait a minute, I think we might need to do things differently. <laughs> exactly. They may be around. <laughs> I think they have one store somewhere. 
<laughs> yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about where the kind of regulatory legal frameworks are going. You know, we, we, there's been grumblings about, you know, trying to get some federal legalization passed. It's probably, it doesn't sound like it's going to happen anytime really soon, but, you know, maybe next election cycle, you know, something changes, but, you know, assuming we go federally legal at some point here, how is that really going to play out? Because I think, you know, states have invested a lot of money into their local markets. They have the licenses, they've got, you know, people have, you know, put a lot of capital into these facilities and things. Like, do you see, do you see states you know, managing this, protecting their borders a little bit? Do you feel like certain brands are going to have a better shot at, at going kind of national versus other ones that have, you know, built a lot of local infrastructure? They're going to be hamstrung. I mean, what, how do you see this kind of playing out? Yeah. I love the magic eight ball questions. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you. I don't think, I think what's, what's promising from a, you know, from a pol- political standpoint is, you know, Nancy Mace, just put out her her package and yeah. it seems to be pretty similar to Schumer's and mm-hmm. you know the rest of them so I, I all that tells me is that there is the willingness to get something done but now they're going to fight over it to see who can use it as an election prop yeah exactly which means you know midterm you know midterms are coming up next year 2022 I don't see it getting done before then they're trying to get the safe banking act done under um, I think under the defense bill, that would be, that would be great because, you know, you haven't lived until you've had a money, major money center bank shut down your bank account for putting the word <laughs> cannabis on your website, Exactly, especially oh, yes. a bank that you used to serve faithfully and loyally. Yes. I'm yep. talking about you, Chase. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You'd probably name a couple other banks in there too, but yeah, yeah no, no doubt. No yeah. doubt. So, yeah. but look, I think the signaling game is on, right? You know, Uber just uh, you know did something with Tokyo Smoke. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, got a lot of respect for them. I think I think they want to get into this industry, but you know, the Nasdaq listing is an impediment for them. They they can't even flirt with the yeah. idea. Um, it really is. It's a it's a blocker. Well, and Amazon too, right? Amazon, yeah. you know, hey guys, we like cannabis. Thanks, Amazon. Yeah. So, our, the takeaway is that the very second that we can, we're coming in. Yeah. So these, I don't think that there's any surprise here. That's a, you know, that is, um, that day is coming. We don't know, you know, we don't know exactly when, but you know, the, there's a lot of, it'll, it will be disjointed. There will be a flurry of acquisitions and yet what it comes down to is, is being, again, being able to meet consumer expectations and demand. Yeah. And in a lot of ways, that's that's the name of the game. And they've got a lot of infrastructure and a lot of money to be able to do that. I think it's generally a good thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, we've got the existing players and then all these new players that clearly are going to come in once some of the regulations change. And and it's unclear exactly how it's going to play out. And someone's going to be based on timing and when this stuff actually happens, which is unfortunately still still a little uncertain. Well, and, you know, what what is for all of those you know massive name brands that we know that are sitting on the edge, they still don't know cannabis. And you and I both know <laughs> that is a steep curve. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's just, uh, I think anything, anything that those, uh, those, you know, we've talked about curious consumers, anything those curious brands can do to get up to speed on cannabis and prepare for this and to reach out and to work with oh, yeah. some of the folks in cannabis, I would start that yesterday. Yeah. Being prepared. I mean, cause it's, it, it's going to be a race. Once that gun goes off, it's going to be a, a very vicious race to, 
to get the uh, get that market share. I'm curious, what are your next steps as a business? Like, what do you what do you really focus on? Where what are your next strategic goals over the next you know couple of quarters? So we've uh, we've spent the last couple of months embracing the the term cold start for a marketplace where you have to bring up both supply and demand at the same time. Yep. It is uh, not for the faint of heart. It's I think I'm at the point where I've made friends with it and and uh, we're good. We understand each other, but you know it's it's literally the marketplaces without any brands on a mark fund. So we've got to be able to lay the infrastructure and be able to get our brands in shape. Um, And so we, CBD has been easy. I mean, CBD, CBD brands we're onboarding right now and, and we can fulfill CBD brands out of two distribution centers, one in Salt Lake city and one in Nashville uh, with 93% coverage for the U S two day delivery. So getting them on board is, has been pretty straightforward. The um, opening up, Right now, we are opening up in California, Massachusetts, Oklahoma, and Michigan. Got it. Yeah. And not only are every state different, but every city in every state is different. <laughs> every county is different. Yeah. <laughs> so we're uh, you know we're trying to standardize our playbook wherever we can, and then make make adjustments to be able to bring that in. But but again, a lot of this goes. This is good for us because this is what every single brand goes through who wants to sell in those states. To try to I you know identify supply chain partners and access to uh, high quality you know high quality cultivation and and then how do I how do I get my products made how do I get where's what shelves are they going to go on how am I going to find customers and so we're solving that for them now and so what I'm what you know I I'm, would expect for the future there's a couple other states we've got our um, we've started in New York that kind of moved to the back burner when um, when they decided that. They actually meant 2023, not 2022. <laughs> but thank you for that because I was not spending uh, I I was not spending any time with my family. So now at least I got a little time. <laughs> exactly. Your kids well, thank them. Exactly. Appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you very much. But you know that that's something where once we've kind of got these playbooks done and we've got you know, like we're 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 signing agreements with manufacturing campuses in each one of those states. Yeah. So that we, and then, you know, with our Native American Cannabis Alliance, we're, we're providing access to independent growers, indigenous farmers, effectively giving them access to the brands that sell in the marketplace so that we can include as many people in the industry as possible and give them a way to have a business. So, you know, the, one of the cool things that somebody brought up, you know, that say, hey, wow, have you guys thought about how you could be the Etsy for a lot of these micro businesses, the, the craft growers and, um, and, when we tell the tale, oh, of course, we talk about it all the time. Now, it was a great idea when it came up. We hadn't really thought about that. But, you know, there's, there's kind of the craft nature. It's the craft beer. It's the same thing. It's it's being able to provide that that distribution sales marketing infrastructure for everybody, whether you're a big brand or you're, you know, you're a, a small grower in Maine. So um, that's one thing that I'd, I'd be really proud to get done because that's where, you know, that's where we provide true opportunity and the role of a marketplace is, is a facilitator. We want to be able to facilitate a connection between a consumer and a brand, a brand and a grower. And, um, and people don't have to see the difficulty, you know, that they just need to see the, the magic of, wow, I saw it, I did it, it worked. And, um, and we'll, we'll stay up and work the hours and spend the money to make sure that it continues to feel like magic. I love it. Love it. Good work. Jeff, if people want to find out more about you, about the business, what's the best way to get that information? So the marketplace is uh, everscore.com. We're in testing now. We should have that up. I'm shooting for the holidays. We'll see uh, We'll see if if, uh, if the technology behaves itself and, and, uh, and 
If don't, not, don't tempt it. <laughs> yeah, I, I should probably not tempt it. So let's let, let's say let's say first of the year, and yeah, anything else good. will be gravy. Yeah, and then for our brands, you know, any, anybody interested, we've got uh, some information up on, on EverscoreConnect.com. Great. I'll make sure that the uh, links are in the show notes so people can get through get get that information. Jeff, thank you so much for taking the time today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Bruce, thank you. Appreciate it. That's it for this episode of Thinking Outside the Bud. Be sure to subscribe using your favorite podcast app so you don't miss our future episodes. See you next time. You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets and access other great content. Visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.